everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, I want to say as usual, but Mark, you're kind of in and out. My, my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing? I'm in a weird situation, yes, but uh, I'm here. I'm happy. I'm rested. I'm ready. Let's do this thing. All right. It's good to have you back, even if it is just for a, a episode or two before <laughs> the CIA. Yeah. I mean, I can't say that. Oh, go. You careful, away careful. No. <laughs> so, Mark... I, again, I normally give you an option here when we start the show, if you want to talk about baseball history or something else, but because there is no baseball going on, I don't think we have an option. We've got to talk about baseball history. Yeah, I, I came here um, expecting to talk about uh, Dwight Eisenhower and how he installed the uh, uh, interstate highway system, but I guess we could talk baseball. Oh, well, wow. Okay, because I actually have a lot of information about that as well. Oh, but I'd have to show in the future. Yeah, that sounds like a good one. But maybe we'll leave that to somebody else. Eh, Let's talk. uh, Let's talk a couple of things uh, here before uh, we get to the the meat and potatoes of our show, which is excellent today. We have got with us uh, with me, Mark, again, I can't disclose what he was doing. But uh, Joining us was D.B. Firstman. Uh, They have a new book out, which is really uh, totally up our alley it's called hall of name Uh, they joined us and we talked about some of the great names throughout the history of baseball and we've got a great interview with them coming up so before we do that though let's uh, make sure and limber up because we don't want to pull anything because it's been a while since we've actually you know played right so let's uh let's start with a little bp i found a great article here now the the japanese league is like mlb not going to be starting on time Uh, it sure looks like they're going to be starting earlier than the major leagues will but they are right now still i think they're just now getting back together and they're going to play some of their first games that were on the schedule between other teams but they're going to play them without anybody in the stands and there's just going to be practice games still so they're going to kind of play their regular schedule i think but they're going to be practice games for a little while but i saw an interesting article about something that happened last year where this guy an oryx buffaloes fan the softbank hawks were coming to town and he wanted to go to these these games two games but he didn't want people sitting around him which is understandable Okay. Most of the time. I don't think Oryx is the hottest ticket. You know, the SoftBank Hawks did go on to win the the Climax Series last year. But what he did when they came to town is he bought 1,873 seats between these two games. (laughs) So he essentially bought out an entire section. And then what he did as game day and game time came closer is he canceled all of them except for his one seat that he needed. (laughs) Oh, man. Thusly trying to ensure that he would basically have an entire section to himself. So, one, nobody would be bothering him. Two, he wanted to get a foul ball. (laughs) (laughs) And he also said he just kind of wanted the recognition of being the only guy in the seat. And there is an actual screen capture of a video here of the game where there is an empty section and just one or two people there. That's funny. We all have different dreams, I guess. Yeah. So there you go. He's he 
got in some trouble for this though so i'm not saying that this is the way to go but it is a thought you could possibly <laughs> possibly do that pretty amusing yeah so quick quiz for you mark oh can you name me a team that has never lost a postseason series no i thought that was the question can i no. <laughs> Can you name the team that has never lost a postseason series? Wow, uh, I'd have to I'd have to really ponder that for a while, and uh, I don't like uh, radio silence very much. Yeah. So I'll just say I can't. It is also the same team that has never won a division title, so they've never lost in the playoffs, and they've never won a division title. <laughs> kind the of odd circumstances. Ball. Nope, the Marlins. The same. Marlins. Same, same, same thought, an expansion team, <laughs> recent expansion team. But yeah, the the Florida, now sure. Miami Marlins, never right. lost a postseason they're one, series. They're one big World Series. And they've never never won the uh, NL East. But that nice. was coincidental. Uh, kind of another oddity. The only, and you know what? Our, our guest host from last week mentioned that he was at this game. The only no-hitter in Miller Park history did not involve the Milwaukee Brewers. Really? So if you remember back in 2008, the Houston Astros had to play elsewhere because Hurricane Ike had actually damaged Minute Maid Park. Right. So they went and played a series against the Cubs up in Milwaukee. And that's where Carlos Zambrano of the Cubs no-hit the Astros. Huh. Interesting. Huh. So those Brewers still waiting for that no-hitter to happen. Wow, I guess. Some lucky, some lucky fan. I seem to remember that because it, that's a weird place to play it because the Astros were the home team, but Milwaukee, the you know their approximate location to Chicago, meant that there were probably a lot of Cubs fans there, which yeah. might have been they were just trying to draw some sort of gate. I'm wondering. That makes sense. Remember a couple of episodes ago we talked about there was a game where the shortstop never touched the ball. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. So I found another odd game. This one from 1989 and Sid Fernandez, El Sid. He <laughs> threw a complete game where there were no assists recorded defensively. No assists? Like no ground ball to the third baseman throws to first? Exactly. That. So every out was either a strikeout, a pop-up or a flyout, or, you know, maybe a three unassisted <laughs> to the first baseman. That is nuts. But uh, but nobody nobody made a throw that recorded anybody for the Mets. So a lot of people just don't even really need a mitt for those games. Just wow. like cricket, you just got your bare hands. Man, I could I could have been perfect defensively in that game. <laughs> well, well, maybe not. not. Yeah, I, let's let's not take those kind of liberties. You've seen me play defense, then. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> No, I haven't. I've just I've seen you work the buffet line in the press oh. and in the press, you know, uh, oh. cafeteria, and yeah. I've seen you drop some some dinner rolls. So I'm not uh, too confident. Yeah. yeah, I have. Yeah. So this another thing I found. This is a rule that is still on the books that is crazy. Do you know what in the Major League Baseball rule book is rule three point zero nine? I don't. This rule states that players of opposing teams shall not fraternize at any time while in uniform. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well. You're supposed to give the silent treatment to wow. the other okay. team as long as you are in uniform. 
Now there there is a stigma against going into the other team's clubhouse. Well, <laughs> yeah, that is usually not met well, well. <laughs> because these guys will meet. They'll like want to talk to one another and they'll send a bat. But hey, go grab so and so, and they'll meet in between. But you never come up and look in the clubhouse and go, "Hey, Tony, get out here." Uh, but no, that's. I mean, that is sacred. That is one of those. I don't even know if it's unwritten rule. There might even be a like. There are rules posted right there. Mm-hmm. You know that say this and this can't happen if you go in this clubhouse. I'm wondering if that's one of those that you can't. You know, somebody from the opposing team can't go in that clubhouse because there's scouting reports, there's game plans, just stuff like that. But I mean, on the field, especially during batting practice, at the end of home batting practice, the visiting team is always out there stretching and there will be people milling around the batting cage, you know, dapping each other. you talking with, you know, former teammates, friends. You see it right before the game starts as players are out there kind of doing their final stretches and they're, they're running, you know, kind of jogging and they'll meet behind second base, you know, shallow center field. They'll, they'll see each other and, yeah. and talk. But I mean, this, this even kind of extends to if you're on first base, like Sean Casey would have had a real hard time with this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very, very uh, vocal and and uh, outgoing guy. Man, that would be awful if that was still actually in effect. That would be a struggle for me, too. And think how different, you know, these mic'd up games where yeah. the players are mic'd, you couldn't do that. I mean, you it could, be- but it would they wouldn't be as exciting. No, they'd be like, <laughs> oh, look, he's talking to himself again. Great. I think maybe they should probably they could probably strike that from the rule book. Probably. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up our BP segment here. We've got plenty to go here in the show. As now, let us uh, jump into an interview that I conducted while Mark was away on assignment, and I was very excited and had a great time talking to DB Firstman about their new book, Hall of Name. Joining us today is D.B. Firstman to talk about their new book, Hall of Name, baseball's most magnificent monikers from the only Nolan to Van, Lingo, Mungo, and more. It is quite a mouthful, but it was very enjoyable. D.B., thank you very much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Glad to be here. And yes, I was shooting for the longest baseball title book of 2020. I'd be willing to put my money on that you were very successful with that. Yeah. I remember, so I follow you on Twitter, and I remember the first time that I saw you tweet about this book, I was so excited because it really could not be more on brand for us to talk about strange characters and stories and names. So before we jump right into the book, can we first just kind of get a sense of your history of the game and what led to your interest in in unique names and nicknames? Sure thing. Um, My passion for baseball comes from my father. Um, My parents were divorced when I was two. I lived with my mother. My father would come over on weekends and immediately plop himself on the couch, turn on the TV and turn on the Yankee game. Um, And I quickly realized that if I was going to be able to relate to my father, it was going to be through baseball. So I quickly got up to speed on the players on the team. And this was in the early 70s when the Yankees were in their fallow period after their dynasty. <laughs> um, they, hadn't, they hadn't gotten to 76 with the, with the World Series team yet. So um, 
So Dan and I would, you know, watch the Yankee games. He would take me out to Yankee Stadium, even though we lived 10, uh, I lived 10 minutes away from Shea Stadium. I said, Dad, why can't we go to Shea Stadium? It's right, it's, it's a 10 minute subway ride. And he looked at me as if I had three heads because he's, he was a died in the wool Yankee fan. Um, and then I, uh, I I always loved sports. I was a big tomboy growing up, and um, I went to St. John's University. I grad I had a um, undergraduate degree in athletic administration. I was going to be the I was going to be in the business side of sports. It didn't quite work out that way. Um, I became a career civil servant for the city of New York, crunching numbers all day. But my passion for baseball, my love of baseball, never waned. Um, I, and as far as names go, I'm, I'm just a, 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 a reference book nerd. I will, uh, if it's an encyclopedia or a thesaurus or a dictionary, I will eat it up. I will, I will happily leaf through a reference book, uh, on a, on a quiet Sunday, Sunday afternoon, um, just looking for facts and figures and things of that nature. I'm, I'm a very inquisitive type of person. And um, I always liked definitions of words and what do, what did the word mean? And, and it, that extended to names. I was naturally curious about names. Where did they come from? How, how, you know, what's the etymology of the name? What, you know, is it a particular ethnicity or nationality? Or did their parents just make up the name? Um, and so those two aspects merged themselves into a uh, regular feature in my blog. Uh, Value Over Replacement Grit was my blog from 2011 through 2018 and just recently restarted. Um, and I had a regular feature where I basically profiled the great names in baseball history, uh, whether it was Briss Lord or... or Doug Goosh or Cal McClish or, you know, Billy Joe Robido. I wanted to know what the etymology of their name was, you know, you know whatever it might have been, and then profile the, the player in terms of their, their career, what they did before they, they got into baseball, what they did after they got into baseball. And so I wanted to, I liked that, that kind of research so much that I thought, you know, this could be a book. And I, I went to a couple of different niche publishers in 2012 and said, you know, I think we have something something we can turn into a book. And they, they all said to me, personally, we love the concept, but we don't think it's going to sell. So I stashed that idea away. And six years later, the world of self-publishing has exploded. Anybody, you know, with with the will and the resources can be, can publish their own book. And that sort of led to my, you know, working on the hall of name, which is now, is now a reality. As I was reading this book, every time I got to a new player and tell me if, if you had the same experience when you, when you hear names, I heard Bob Shepard's voice (laughs) from, from old Yankee stadium announcing every single player in this book. Well, um, there's a couple of Bob, Bob Shepard um, uh, anecdotes in the book. Uh, one of them is uh, a Japan, Japanese pitcher named Shigatoshi Hasegawa. 
I've got his name right here on this <laughs> question that I was going to ask you. Shigatoshi Hasegawa, according to, uh, according to the newspapers of the day, was one of Bob Shepard's favorite names to say over the PA system at Yankee Stadium. And, um, it just rolls off the it, tongue, it, it? It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful name. The other uh, Shepard anecdote is uh, from Oda B. McDowell, who wore number zero. And Shepard had a thing about announcing the number of the uniform while he was announcing the player. He would say, now batting number two, Derek Jeter. Well, Oda B. wore zero. And... You know, Shepard just didn't want to, uh, didn't want to, didn't consider zero to be a real number. So he just said, oh, oh, to be McDowell. And that was it. <laughs> I was, uh, I would, I would have loved to have heard Bob Shepard introduce like Quentin McCracken. Ah, uh, yes. I think there's some great names that would have made me laugh to hear Bob Shepard. Yeah, and uh, that, you know, I I have a section in the book called Sounds Good to Me, which are, to my my, uh, opinion, names that just roll off the tongue. They're very lyrical. They're very fun to say. And, you know, so, yes, Shigatoshi Hasegawa and uh, Oda B. McDowell and Quentin McCracken are, 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 uh, entries in that section of the book. So I have to imagine with your fascination with names and letters that it must have been fun. Did you did you ever watch Cubs games on WGN and, and Harry Carey and his his game where he would try to pronounce batters names backwards? Uh, yes. And I believe he uh, I, I believe I mentioned that in the profile of John Walkenfuss. Um, <laughs> yes, because when Walkenfuss would step to the plate, he he said, "Suffing suffing cow, you know, suffing cow approaches the plate," and I'm like, uh, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> I remember Pete Incavilia. First of all, he could never say Pete Incavilia or Mark Grezelanik like forwards, but he would always try to say them backwards. And Mark Grezelanik, Mark Grezelanik was on the Cubs and he couldn't even pronounce his name for an entire season. Uh, but that was always one of my, one of the things that made me laugh when I was growing up watching WGN uh-huh. and Harry Carey. Now, so in the book title, you have got Van Lingle Mungo. Now I'm going to be completely honest. I had never heard of Van Lingle Mungo. And I, I feel like it's a name when I say it. I have to say the full name, kind of like Hesop Choi. Like you yes, never you just need say the, Choi. you need the full name. It seems like this guy would have been, he and Billy Martin could have been like best friends with the alcohol-fueled hijinks uh, and, yeah. and fines that he seemed to get into. <laughs> yes. And then uh, the, the story with him is that he, uh, his name was used as the title of a song uh, written in the late 1960s by, I believe, a jazz pian- pianist um, of, who basically was looking to, he, he basically went through the baseball encyclopedia and picked out names that were lyrical enough to make into a song, and he titled the song Van Lingo Mungo, and apparently he put, Mr. Mungo himself uh, approved of, of the song and liked the song when he heard it, so um, that's that's a claim to fame that he has with 
Jolton Joe DiMaggio. You know, it, it, you don't get too many baseball players with song titles uh, for them. I believe Soundgarden had a song called Ty Cobb, but um, I may I may be um, I may be you know oh, going a little going a little overboard on the trivia there, but that's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I went and I found the song on on YouTube by Dave Frischberg. Yes, in 1969. And, uh, yes, he was a jazz pianist. Heeny Johnny G, Eddie Juiced, Johnny Pesky, Thornton Lee, Danny Gardella, Van Lingelman. And somebody has, has put pictures to it as well ah. on YouTube. So he's, he's listing off all these players. There's pictures of it. And uh, I got to admit, it's kind of a catchy, catchy song. It What it reminded me of is, uh, I are you familiar with the, the Twitter uh, account Don Zemmer? Uh, very much so, yes. I figured you would be. Yes. <laughs> that's that's kind of what it reminded me of. Just a song made out of, of this is a little bit different with, with the Zimmer account, but just made up of players' names with the word and and big in between some of them. And that's it. Yeah. That was great. When I was working on my blog on a regular basis, when it came time for the Christmas holidays, I would rewrite Christmas songs using only baseball player names. So I, I did the 12 Days of Christmas. I did, you know, uh, White Christmas. I did, you know, the dreidel, uh, you know, Equal Opportunity for the Jews. I did the dreidel song, you know, so, but I, I substituted uh, the real words with baseball player names instead. So Zemmer and I are kindred spirits. Nice. I like that account. So also, as I, like I said, I never heard of Van Lingo Mungo, but there is a great, antidote and this is this is like a quarter of our show our stories like this where uh you mentioned that van lingo mungo was pitching he was a pitcher on may 6 1937 and the hindenburg happened to fly over the game <laughs> as he was pitching yeah and then later that day it was the day that it burst into flames that's incredible um some some of the details of particular players um, I have to credit the the uh, Saber Baseball Bio Project for um, if if your listeners uh, we are very we have made our listeners very aware of Saber. Okay. I'm a member of Saber and Good. yeah, that big part of the show. Good. So the Baseball Bio Project is a volunteer uh, effort. Uh, Saber members research and write up profiles of players, umpires, owners, executives, anybody related to baseball. And um, there are over 5,000 different profiles on the website right now. You can go and look at any one of them. And for people like Van Lingelmungo, who didn't have the, didn't necessarily have a book written about him or didn't have much in the way of, of you know, in-depth newspaper articles and things of that nature. Uh, I relied to a, to an extent on what was found in the Baseball Bio Project biographies of some of these players. So for for somebody like Van Lingelmungo, I could have only pulled the Hindenburg uh, the Hindenburg uh, angle because of the Baseball Bio Project. I have ask our listeners if you enjoy the show to consider becoming a member of Saber. It's so 
there are so many things. There's meetups. Uh, they're even doing individual random games. People will write entire stories about them, and it is such a great resource. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that and uh, are a fellow Saber member. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories from your book actually includes two players that you covered, one of which you've already mentioned, Doug Goosh, who... <laughs> Last name is spelled G-W-O-S-D-Z, which if you sat me in a room for two days and asked me to how to pronounce that, I would never be leaving that room. Um, so he was playing for the Nashville Sounds in 1989 and proclaimed that he had overtaken Biff Pokoroba, yes. which I don't think he was. I don't know if that if, if you really need to trill the R's, but I'm going to because that's fun. <laughs> Biff Pokoroba for second place on the all time list of batting practice hits, still trailing Stan Musial, which is uh, if, if people don't understand why I love baseball it's because people come up with stories like that right and and in what other uh, context can you put uh, Doug Goosh Biff Pokoroba and Stan Musial in the same sentence <laughs> probably not very often no I would say. not very often <laughs> so do you think is there a golden age of names where where the best uh, the best names took not necessarily the best players but the best names. Um, I would say earlier in the the early twentieth um, century, uh, players rarely <laughs> rarely went by their given names. I mean, <laughs> there were there were a ton of nicknames being used. There was. Um, players who just went by you know there was Pick, pickles dillhofer one of my all-time favorites pickles dillhofer pickles dillhofer and you know icebox chamberlain and uh you know the there there were just na- there were just names that people picked up on either you know their, their teammates named them or the the newspaper writers gave them that name it was it was really yes it, the golden age was really the the early 1900s uh, where players were were you know they, they were they, they, there were some mystical quality to their names um, nowadays it's more I, I I would say that there aren't as many nicknamed players you don't get the catfish hunters or the blue moon odoms of the day anymore you 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 get Mike Trout and you get you know Bryce Harper. But nobody's nobody's given them a real nickname that is stuck to the point where it becomes their, like their pseudo first name. Where have you gone, Boof Bonzer? Ah, uh, yes. Our, our <laughs> <laughs> Who legally changed his name to Boof. That is quite true, yes. And uh, apparently his mother uh, nicknamed all the kids and nicknamed, uh, I believe, uh, Boof's real first name is Paul, uh, if I remember correctly. <laughs> And nicknamed the kid Boof, and uh, Boof basically was not too happy with it at first, but learned to love the name and legally changed it uh, in the in the past decade or so, I believe. So, which Hall of Famer, actual Hall of Famer? So, I've I've got here the Hall of Name. We talk about the Hall of Game from the Negro League Museum. We've got the Hall of Name now from the actual Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Who do you think has the best name in the Hall? Wow. Um, just for the spelling, because I, 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 I love to spell words, it's got to be Carl Yastrzemski. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you ask, you ask most baseball fans and 
they're gonna they're gonna trip their some trip themselves up on Yastrzemski. Who who else would be a, a really great Hall of Fame? Nap Lajoie is is one of my. We've we've talked about him many times, and once I learned to pronounce his last name, it's kind of like Shigatoshi Hashigawa to me. I like to say it. <laughs> and uh, there's a uh, Kai Kai Kyler. Yep, he's in the book. He's Very a, nice. He's in the book, and uh, to know how to pronounce his first name because um, it's not Kiki, it's Kai Kai. <clears throat> and as I explain in the book, um, it is not—it is not because he stuttered, which was a, a a myth perpetuated throughout his career that he had a stuttering problem. But I interviewed his Kai Kai's great grandson, who dispelled that myth. So Kai Kai Kyler is another great name, um, you know, who is in the Hall of Fame. Okay, so I found a name-related nugget that didn't come from your book or your your Twitter account. And maybe, I don't know, this sounds like something that you would come up with though, but it wasn't attributed to you. So I wanna ask, only one major league player has had all the letters of the MLB team's name that they're on in their name. Uh, I believe- any idea who Yes, I, I believe it is Odrissimer Despagne. There, that was what I got, yep. very nice. <laughs> yes, I, I remember seeing that across my, my Twitter feed. Yes, and he was pitching for the San Diego Padres at the time. I, nothing gets by you. <laughs> I have no life. <laughs> well, okay, so I've got a couple of others that I don't have answers for. Okay. Do you know which uh, MLB player has the most unique letters in their nickname? In their nickname? In their name? I actually wrote. I actually wrote um, a blog post about this a few years ago. Where it was, I think the I think the record is eleven or twelve different unique letters with none repeating. I did a blog post in 2011, and the record uh, at that time was twelve different unique non-repeating letters by such people as Dustin Ackley, Daniel Murphy, Josh Barfield, Michael Bourne, Michael Young, and Brent Lugash. Wow, except for Brent there at the end, they're all contemporary. I, I don't know when he played, but everybody else was contemporary. Brent Lugash was a cup of coffee with the Tigers in 2009. That's That boggles my mind that they're all from, you know, really the last like 20 years. Oh, uh, that's pretty cool. yeah, that, that's, that's the, in terms of the active players in 2011, that's the list. And then we had a bunch going back even further, uh, all named John Fitzgerald. <laughs> we had three different John Fitzgeralds, John J, John H, and John F. Fitzgerald. And then we had a Fred Buckingham who, who played for the 1895 Washington Senators. I, I just, here's a little, little clue from the, something that Mark and I know. And uh, when, when I'm helping design a, a scoreboard for a baseball team, we always put every batter as Gerald Saltalamacchia just so we can kind of put those worst case scenarios in there to make sure there's enough room for everybody. <laughs> yes, he's, he's still the leader in longest last names. <laughs> One of my, my favorites, and it wasn't until reading your, your book here for most unique names, was Ugeth Urbina. And I did not know his middle name until you told me. Uh-huh. Uh, which makes it even more unique. <laughs> Ugeth, Ugeth Urtain, I believe, is how you pronounce yep. it. Urtain is a village in the Basque section of Spain. 
So there you go. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he uh he like a lot of players in your book here did not end th- not a good ending to their story no uh, no we, we 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 have players who had alcohol problems we had players who had domestic violence problems we had players who committed suicide it you know and that's part of the part of the the reason for the book. I wasn't looking to just you know I wasn't looking to poke fun at these people and just say ha ha look at the funny name. I wanted to tell stories about these people and get into their their life histories. And Ugi Urbina, in November of two thousand five, was arrested uh, and on a charge of attempted murder. And then uh, he was convicted in 2007 and sentenced to more than 14 years in prison for it. And he was released in 2012. So, you know, he's his rap sheet was longer than his major league career, apparently. And at one point, his mother was kidnapped and held for ransom. That is also true. That was before his before his problems. Uh, Yes, it was in 2004. Yeah. Just a unique, uh, unique story. So I want to ask you. How uh, how do you consume baseball when there is actual baseball being played? I can just it it seems like you probably watch it on a higher level than I do. <laughs> do these these names, you know, I'm 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 into sabermetrics, so I'm looking at those numbers. And if I'm at a game, I love to you know watch positioning and things you can't see on TV. How do you consume a game? Well, I I do have different different interests and passions. Um, I am a I am a uh, participant in fantasy baseball. I, I have a couple of different score sheet baseball teams, so I do care about the you know the the, the basic statistics, the runs, the hits, you know the the wins, the losses, and things of that nature. But I also appreciate the more uh, sophisticated stats, you know, the spin rate, the exit velocity. Um, I'm a big fan of the three true outcomes, yes. uh, the, the the walk, the strikeout, and the home run. Uh, I wrote a paper which appeared in the Sabre uh, Baseball Research Journal in 2018, which was a history of the three true outcomes. And so uh, that is a particular particular fondness of me uh, for me, and I do follow that statistic as it goes through the year. Um, but yes, the names the names have always been a fascination for me. And then when somebody when somebody debuts, when when um, the kid uh, I think his first name is Anthony, and his last name was Bem Boom B E M B O O M debuted in two thousand nineteen. Uh, I dance because that's that's just a, a terrific name and uh, there was there was a bunch of really great names and well there's a bunch of really great names that enter baseball history every season. So you are likewise a connoisseur of pop culture. What would you consider? I've got a short list here. Who would you consider the best baseball pop culture character? A oh, fictional, fictional, of course. Hmm, baseball. Fictional baseball. Well, I, I got. I'm a Simpsons fan, so Homer at Homer at the Bat is is the quintessential episode for me of animated television. You know, you've got you've got Homer, you've got Daryl Strawberry, you've got Steve Sachs and Roger Clemens and Don Mattingly. Homer playing right field, and then you know the the walk <laughs> the walk off hit the walk off hit by pitch. 
is 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 just a shining moment in baseball history, at least on the animation level. So um, yeah, that that was top of my list right there is Homer at the bat. Yeah, yeah. What what about some? I, I've got some other good ones here. Some uh, some of my top fictional players. We've got Calvin Nuke Lelouch. Oh, of course. Which is I would love to have see somebody with that name. Uh, Lelouch is great. You've got uh, Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn. Chet Stedman is another great name from Rookie of the Year. Uh-huh. Uh, Scotty Smalls <laughs> and Kit Keller. <laughs> I mean, I guess Hollywood's coming up with most of these, so you can you can make those alliterations. But those are some of those the kind of names that I I love to see uh, in movies about you know baseball as well. And then of course you had the whole um, the Charles Schultz Peanuts gang with their escapades on the baseball field and Charlie Brown always getting his clothes knocked off of him on a line drive back through the box. And and Charlie Brown's favorite player? Uh, Joe Slobotnik. There you go. <laughs> you I'm I'm I, after having spoken to you for a while, you might you might guess that's not the first time that Joe Schlebotnik's name has been mentioned <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> so I've also seen you tweet about uh, Out of the Park Baseball, which is a sim baseball game. I've been playing it for six or seven years. Uh, the, the new version comes out right about this time uh, every year. So you like to play uh, out of the park baseball. How do you how do you play that? Because there's many different ways to play that. And do you ever do anything like make an all nickname team or give your guys <laughs> different nicknames? Uh, I don't really try to to adjust the player names. I try and force other teams to make really bad trades to me. <laughs> uh, I will generally play as the general manager for the team, whichever team it may be. I tend I tend to try and take the Mets and do a better job than Brody Benwagonen or, you know, somebody like that. Um, I, I don't force nicknames. I, I do um, sometimes when they come up with new players who re- who didn't exist before they'll they'll come up with some really weird um nicknames for amateur players but i i don't i don't go as far as trying to you know create players with with wild names because there's enough in reality <laughs> all right so this is a question not related to names and i just saw this today and this is going to go on my list of, of questions i'm going to ask every every guest that we have what is your unpopular baseball jersey opinion my unpopular opinion is every player should be wearing their stirrups high you should show (laughs) the entire stirrup that was the glory days of baseball uniforms when everybody wore high stirrups and you could see the sanitary sock and and the cut and the different colorations of them that is that is my little pet peeve about uniforms, and I don't know if anybody else shares that pet peeve, but that's that's mine. Uh, regular listeners of our show 
are going to be laughing because when I explain to you some of the uh, the rules of Wax Packs Heroes, which we'll get to here in a minute, you will see that you get an extra cent on your baseball card if you are wearing actual <laughs> stirrups and sanitaries, and you actually get a minus one cent if you're wearing the dreaded two-in-ones where the stirrup was just sewn into your sock. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Oh, I love I love sanitary socks. I don't think a lot of of young players even know what they are these days. Right. Right. But and and then I I I realized today that the A's and they might still be the only team that has sanitary socks that are not white. They were gold and oh. they still are sometimes with Chris Davis. But that is something that uh, I just picked out of the uh, the internet today. <laughs> What is, what is your opinion of sort of the divested uniform top like the old, old Cincinnati Reds? If you've got like, was it Ted Kluzinski? Kluzuski. Kluzuski. If, if you've got him, I think it looks great. Uh-huh. I do not like the iterations. You know, I know Ken Griffey Jr. kind of pushed the Mariners to have their vest jerseys uh, in, the, in the 2000s and the Royals did. And I think... If it's, not, I think the Pirates looks good because it looks still kind of old school to me. Uh-huh. But I don't like the new versions. Okay. I don't. And the um, going more for the aesthetics, uh, the discussion of the aesthetics. What about the Pirates pillbox hats? Love them. Oh, good. And put the stars on them. Yes, I want definitely. the stars. You got to have the stars. Yes. Oh yeah, the the Willie Stargell, the Willie Stargell uh, we are stars. family yep. look. Yep. Get Kent Tacolvi out there on the mound with his, you know, transition lenses <laughs> at, at age six hundred and two, and oh, I love it. Yeah. Who who do you think has the best jerseys in baseball right now, or all time for that matter? Uh, I'm I'm particularly fond of the Royals from the powder blue era mm-hmm. of the late seventies. You know, I can still picture George Brett in those powder blues. Yeah. Um, I think for for classic looks, you can't go wrong with the the Dodgers white and blue and the the script Dodgers across the chest. Um, the the Orioles bird, the ornithologically incorrect <laughs> bird on the cap, is is a favorite of mine. Um, so. And then a, what, what do you think about all because you like the powder blues from the Royals, which I agree. That was good. What do you think about all these teams this year? Well, I say this year. It's so hard to get through my head that supposedly, uh, you know, you've got like seven or eight teams that are going to have powder blue uniforms this year. I like powder blue. Generally speaking, I think it's a good color for, for a base uh, for a baseball uniform. Uh, but if it's not. If it's not part of the the normal color palette for the team, uh, then I think it's it's just catching in on a fashion trend rather than than any sort of aesthetic uh, identification with the city and the team. So let let's leave the powder blues with with the Royals and let the others figure out what they want to do with their uniform. Yeah, I think the Rangers have like fifteen different uniform combinations this year. I... Are they, try, are they trying to be the Diamondbacks? 
<laughs> well, if you remember, I think it was two years ago, the Nationals actually had a mannequin in their clubhouse because they had so many different uniform combinations. They would dress the mannequin in the combination for the day so that everybody could refer to it to make sure that everybody had the right uniform on. Uh-huh. <laughs> and a, usually, usually the pitcher, the starting pitcher, correct me if I'm wrong, but the starting pitcher of the day gets to choose the uniform combo. That is what I, it was funny, I was talking to somebody on the internet today and I brought that very fact up and they had not heard that. And I was beginning to question myself because player or teams have so many specific days where they have to wear specific uniforms. I was wondering if that was a thing of the past or not. Mm-hmm. I, I would have to do a little research on that, but I, I, that's what I remember hearing. Yeah, me too. Absolutely, because I because I know there were certain pitchers that would only wear home whites or home, or you know road grays. They hated alternate you know alternate jerseys and cool. So, uh, are you ready to uh, are you ready to open some old baseball cards? Oh, let's do it. All right, so we have got a pack here of 1988 Donruss, the uh, the infamous kind of bars in the background look of Donruss. Uh, I gave you a little bit of a clue as to some of our rules. Uh, I'll go over them again here just in case uh, anybody is new to the show. We are opening a 19, as we said, 1988 pack of Donruss. We are using a May 1992 Beckett to score these so that there's some value to these cards. Um, We've got a couple of extra rules, though. If the uh, player is sporting a mustache, you get an extra cent and that's like 90% of these guys in 1988 were sporting mustaches. (laughs) If they went on to become a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. And if, as I mentioned, if they're wearing actual real stirrups, you get an extra cent. But if they're wearing those dreaded two-in-ones, which I don't think were very popular in 1988, I think it was, 89 is when they really caught on, you get a minus one cent. (laughs) Okay. So... We will uh, go through here. Maybe we can come up with some guys with some nicknames that uh, that we have forgotten about. So here we go. We're going to start off with, um, and I don't know if this guy ever had a nickname. If he didn't, he should. Here he's pictured with the San Diego Padres, now a baseball announcer, I think still with the Phillies or ESPN, John Cruck. Oh, yes. Crucky. I think. Just Crucky. The, I think it was Crucky. <laughs> I remember Berman, and it's sad that I remember a lot of Chris Berman nicknames because he drives me crazy. But I think it was John. I am not a crook. <laughs> I, so uh, yeah. that card, <laughs> that card is unfortunately not worth anything. Uh, John Crook never had a mustache, and I cannot see if he is wearing stirrups. It's just from the uh, the shoulders up on this one. Um, so. He never had a mustache, probably because whatever he was eating would get stuck in the mustache. <laughs> it got a little stinky under yeah, there uh, yeah. after, after the spread. Yep. Next, we've got a guy. Now, this is a name I remember, but I would have guessed that he was a pitcher. Here he's an outfielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Tommy Gregg. Ooh. That doesn't ring. Damn. That doesn't ring. Really ring a bell. Oh, he lasted. Uh, he lasted quite a few years, I think. He. Well, you're in luck here because this is his rookie card. Oh. So while you know he might not have done much, uh, since we're using an older Beckett, this rookie card is worth two cents. 
So ooh, I, I'm gonna go and and hoard all of the Tommy Greggs I can find. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can if you want some Phil Plantier, Sam Horn, <laughs> um, any any of Kevin Moss, any of those, uh-huh. I've got plenty. I'm willing to part with. Okay. <laughs> Now here's a here's kind of one of a, those borderline Hall of Famers. Uh, I always love this guy. I'm I, this is what I'll do. I'll give you his nickname. I'm sure you're going to be able to get this one. The Thrill. Will Clark. Very nice. Now <laughs> this is right at the height of Will Clark's powers too. In 1988, this card is worth 35 cents. Uh, it was uh, one of his top. M- MVP vote years. Uh, he, I think he he hit like 30 home runs and drove in 100, and he walked a bunch of times. And uh, he was he was certainly a young a young stud for for those Giants teams. Now I'm going to tell you just with with our leaderboard, our uh, for our guests, our leaderboard, uh, the Diamonds and Roses podcast uh, is 93 sense that's the that's the all-time high that was because he i happen to have a pack of upper deck and he got a ken griffey jr the uh, second place is 52 cents so your one (laughs) one will clark card here has vaulted you you know you're you're on pace to challenge for second place already with this one card very nice cool uh no mustache and i can't see i know he always wore real stirrups but i can't see them in this picture do you know Will Will Clark's middle name? In fact, I just I, I cheated. I just looked it up. It, it's it's a great one, Nooshler. Nooshler, the Noosh. The Noosh. <laughs> that's right. So here is we speaking of Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, it is a senior Ken Griffey Sr. here with the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. Whoever took these pictures for Donruss this year uh, caught a lot of these guys during BP and just shot them from the neck up. <laughs> I can't tell if he's wearing stirrups, but he most definitely has a mustache. He pretty much always had a mustache. I don't remember him clean shaven that often. Uh, same with same with Junior. I don't. I never remember Junior without a mustache. Uh huh. Uh, I, I, I do remember him uh, having a few years in the middle of his career with the Yankees. Um, of course, he started out with, with the Reds and then moved to the Yankees and then Atlanta. And uh, I think he finished finished up his career back in Cincinnati, or did he have a couple of years after that? Uh, well, he definitely played in Seattle for a season or two. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because they were, they were, didn't they homer in the same game together? Back to back. Yes. Yep. Back to back. Yep, most definitely. So that card is not worth anything, but he, that mustache does give you one cent there, so that's good. Okay. Now, here we go. I love this guy. Third baseman for the Chicago Cubs, Keith Moreland. Ah, yes. He had a, he had some really great strat cards. I was a stratomatic player back in the day, and he had... He was a catcher. He was a third baseman. He was a right fielder. He had, he had positional eligibility around the diamond, and he... He was always good for like 10 or 15 home runs and like 30 doubles and a pretty decent batting average. And, you know, he didn't walk that much, but he walked enough to make him worthwhile as a player. Never great defensively, but he at least he played different positions. So he was valuable in terms of, you know, if he were doing fantasy baseball, he qualified at a few different positions. Since you're on the show, I'm looking at the back of his card. Keith is actually his middle name. 
Bobby Keith Moreland. Okay. Uh, I know I ha- I hate to break the news to you here, but this card is not worth anything, and unfortunately, it looks like he is wearing two and ones there. It is a straight line <laughs> up and down, and I can't see that telltale arch, uh-huh. you know, in the front uh-huh. if they under their pants. I don't see that. I'm I'm afraid <laughs> Keith is not gonna not gonna be kind to you there. Well, yeah, well, we'll 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 trade him for a couple of picks to be named later. <laughs> well, you're going to be happy with this next one. You've got a Hall of Famer. Uh, his nickname should be a giveaway. The Kid. Uh, yeah, Mr. Carter. There you go. I, I just thought about it. I'm like, well, we just did the, we just did Griffey. <laughs> right. But, I was like, uh, we, we don't have both Griffies. We have Gary Carter. Good card here with the Mets. Um, I was a huge Gary Carter fan. Um, my first favorite player was Bobby Mercer, and then when Mercer retired, I latched on to Gary Carter, and I collected every Gary Carter baseball card I could find. When he was with the Mets, uh, they did a card they did a card show, and uh, a friend of mine helped uh, get me an autograph with him by basically uh, accosting him in the men's room and, and then <laughs> shoving him outside where he could take a picture with me and get my and I can get his autograph. So uh, I, 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 I really miss Gary Carter. He, he left us way too soon. So that card is worth three cents and he is a Hall of Famer. So that's an extra five cents. So that's an eight cent card for you right there. Cool. Next, we've got shortstop for the Seattle Mariners sporting a typical 80s mustache, Ray Quinones. Um, What can we say about Ray Quinones that hasn't been said about other uh, relatively short shortstops of, of his era? I mean, he was not Mario Mendoza, but he didn't hit that much better <laughs> than Mario. And um, Nick, do you know why we we were postulating this? Two hundred is the considered the Mendoza line. Yet Mendoza had a two fifteen career average. Is this just bad press? I think does, does he need a does he need a better <laughs> PR person? Uh, I think it just happened to be the the particular year in which the the phrase was first created. Maybe that was a year in which he actually did bat under two hundred. Did Mendoza bat under two hundred in any year? Yeah, I mean, yeah, his, oh yeah, <laughs> he was always right around there. He had one or two good years that bumped it up to that career of 215. But yeah, I, I, I had been studying his numbers recently and I'm like, this guy's getting a bum rap. <laughs> All right, so you're, uh, you did get one cent for that because he's got a real good mustache there. We move to that to another great mustache, third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays, Rance Mullinex. Ah, and a great name too. I nearly included him in the book. And if I do a second book, I think I I will get around to Mr. Rance Mullenix, Um because Rance is just a terrific name, and it happens to be his middle name. His first name is Stephen, but Stephen Mullenix would have been kind of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But Rance, Rance catches your attention. Rance says, I am somebody. <laughs> so yeah. If Mullenix would have had an X instead of a K, that would have been even uh, extra badass. Uh, yes, yes. So, and he's he's got those science teacher gl- uh, glasses on too. I was I was considering adding that also if they've got those big science teacher uh, glasses on that they get an extra cent, but we haven't implemented that rule yet. Okay, uh, all right. So you you do get one cent for that one. 
Next, this guy, I swear, I don't know if uh, he's, I, I feel like he's stuck around forever as like the 25th man on every team's roster. Here for the Twins, Steve Lombardozzi. Uh, the Lombard, the Lombard, Lombard man, as I used to call him. He, he did stick around. Well, actually, he didn't have that long a career. He only lasted, yeah. he only lasted like five or six years. I think there's been enough Lombardozies that I always just think it's the same person. Hmm. Well, uh, there's only actually there's another Steve Lombardozzi who played for the Senators, not the Senators, the Nationals in 2011. That's and I probably I'm like, wow, this guy's had a really long career. He was around in '88. He's still around. Um, because oh, wait a minute, they're, they're they're father and son. That's that's it. Oh, yes. Look at that. There you, you go. W- Right up there with the Fielders and uh-huh. the Guerreros. And the, right, right. <laughs> the Lombardos. The Lombardos. All right, so your next card is an interesting one. It's another Hall of Famer. It's a Diamond Kings card, Ooh. meaning that it's a, you know, one of the, it, it's a piece of artwork. Uh-huh. So I can't give any kind of stirrups uh, credit, but you do get five cents right off the bat because it's Paul Molitor. Ah, Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. And for some reason, this card was not where it was considered a common at the time. That's a shame. Uh, well, you know, and uh, he he had a late career surge. I mean, his 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 glory years seemed to happen after the age of 30 in terms of getting recognition for MVP and All-Star All-Star selections. So, that would have been he turned thirty one in nineteen eighty eight. So that was just starting his 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 renaissance as as a a a real superstar in the league. Um, but he had he had quite the career for you know he played third base, he played second base, but then he spent most of his career as a designated hitter. In terms of designated hitters that have made the hole, I'll still go with Edgar Martinez first and foremost. So I I, I, I want to give you extra credit. I can't, but he's got the old Milwaukee. I guess it's now the new Milwaukee Brewers logo with the MB. The MB and the, the and the ball and the glove, yes, which is a, so good. A, a, a terrific logo, yes. Next, we've got kind of one of those borderline guys that always gets talked about as we come around, uh, around Hall of Fame voting time. Oh, by the way, Molly. That was Molitor's nickname. I remember that. I'm going to give you the crime dog. Fred McGriff. There you go. Here he is with the Blue Jays. Uh-huh. McGriff, I believe, hit just about 500. Right? He hit like 490, 495. And he, he's one of those people... He's he's in the hall of the very very good. He he got out overshadowed, you know, because of the era he played in. But he he had such a long career, and he was productive, a productive hitter for most of his career. Um, he he played for a bunch of different. He had played for like five or six different teams, and he was always a a, a sharp fielder and a good a good source of power. I mean. He was consistently hitting 30 to 35 home runs during his heyday. And even towards the end of his career, I mean, he had a couple of uh, really solid seasons for for um, the Cubs and then uh, a final swan song with the Tampa Bay Rays. Excuse me, the Devil Rays. 
Yep, definitely the Devil Rays at that point. Yes. And a very memorable first game when he was traded to the Atlanta Braves when the press box caught on fire oh, during yes. batting practice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your next one. Now, I know Mark would be very excited if he were here about this one. Third baseman for the Twins. His nickname was The Rat. Not Whitey Herzog. But uh, do you do you remember who The Rat was? Uh, I want to... S- Gaetti? Exactly. There you go. Gary Gaetti. Okay. Wasn't he a bit of a uh, a religious fanatic? I seem to remember him being sort of the clubhouse chaplain, as it were, in terms of uh, trying to turn his teammates on to Jesus and things of that nature. I could... He would have been stealing the rum from Joe Boo. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, Yeah. so mark tells a story uh that that uh, he's familiar with gaietti gaietti has turned a bunch of triple plays at third base because he would just camp on the line there defensively if there were runners on first and second or the bases loaded it didn't matter who was up he was hugging that line Uh to try and get that that line drive ground ball and touch third and then throw it around the horn cool very cool no uh no value for that Never wore a mustache that I'm aware of, and I can't see his stirrups, but uh, good stories about Gaetti. Next, here is uh, somebody that uh, you might be familiar with. I don't know if he had a nickname. He was on those 80, the 86 Mets team, Jesse Orozco. Ah, uh, yes. Jesse, Jesse, Jesse. He, the, I, I, the, the story I remember, I think, that personifies that 86 Mets team was... I think it was the, the the playoff game against Houston, and um, it was like the 15th or 16th inning, and Orozco was in there, and the Mets had taken the lead, and Orozco was in the process of possibly blowing the game, and Hernandez walks over to him and basically says, if you throw another fastball, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> um, you know, so but Orozco held, uh, I believe, held the, the record. He may still hold the record for most appearances in the major leagues. Uh, something like twelve hundred games or something like that. Twelve hundred, and practically all of them were relief appearances. I mean, he did start right. a couple of games when he was a rookie for the Mets, but uh, and he he certainly was well traveled after his after. His career when the Mets was over but he played for like 25 years and that he was definitely of that era if you were a left-handed pitcher until your arm falls off right you you're employed right uh, I'm looking it up right now 1252 games appeared in and that is a all-time record which is uh, amazing it's just like <laughs> I can't. I wonder if he can raise his arm now. If he can raise his left arm now, or if it's just permanently in a sling. Right. So that card is not worth anything. But he's he's got a mustache here. Not a not a good one, but he's got a mustache. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't have time to draw, to grow a mustache. Well, he can't. He can't lift his arm to shave. Right. That well, was what there it was. you go. All right. You're down to your last two. These are two two good cards in terms of nicknames. Uh, this one, let's see. Do you know who Mr. Mariner is? Mr. Mariner. Also, an uh, alternative nickname is A.D. That might give it away a little bit. Uh, Alvin Davis. There you go. Okay. See, I, I told you the 80s were my sweet spot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I mean, before Griffey and Edgar and Randy Johnson and, and Ichiro, this was, I know, Alvin Davis was the main guy for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, yeah, and he um, put to, he spent his pretty much entire career, except for one year, with Seattle. I believe he was the rookie of the year in his yep, rookie, I think he was, yep. rookie season and, uh, you know, had a, a bunch of quality years thereafter. Um Left-handed batter, good power stroke, uh, walked a ton, uh, was an on-base machine for them. Um, I think he had an on-base percentage over 400 a couple of years. He was quite the contributor for some, you know, middling to, to decent, you know, Mariner teams of that era. Yeah, he was, there were some years, very lean years, where he was the only positive yes. thing. <laughs> yes, But now, interesting, his middle name is Glenn. So we could have, if he would have gone by his middle name, we could have had two power hitting uh, Glenn Davises at first base in the major leagues at the same time. And both hitting left-handed. Yeah, very, very nice. Yes. Uh, so that card is not worth anything. Uh, he is wearing the mustache. I cannot, again, see... Don Russ was just not interested in game photos this year. Uh Uh, So that is one cent. And that brings us to your final card. We mentioned his nickname earlier uh, in the in the interview, but uh, the bull. Oh, Bull, oh, oh, Leon Bull Durham. There you go. I would have accepted Bull Durham as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so here he is, an actual in-game shot. It looks good. They've got the, the pinstripes on. He's got a mustache and a beard. That counts. And he's got real stirrups on there. So while the card isn't worth anything, you get two cents for that. Cool. Um, wasn't Leon Durham the, the unfortunate uh, player who had the crit? error in the National League Championship Series against the Padres. I believe the the, the Cubs had gone up 2-0 on the Padres and the Padres came all the way back uh, and Durham made a critical error at first in I believe Game 5. Was that 84? I think that was 84, yes. Yeah, that's a, that is a definite uh, dark spot on, on me. Was, 85 was the first year I really paid attention to baseball. Uh-huh. So I, I can tell you the teams generally who were involved, but something like that, I don't, I'd have to look up. Uh-huh. But that's a, now this is a strong, you, I, th- I told you, uh, you know, the Don Russ, uh, the, the newer scorecards generally play better because we're, we're using a 92 Beckett's here, but I am excited to tell you, you've come in with a 67. That is good for second place. By 15 cents, you're in second place. First, first man comes in second. Haven't, haven't I heard that before? <laughs> well, you made the playoffs though. If, if the season ends right now, so hey, that's great. Cool. And that is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you that is by far our best pack of Don Russ that we've gotten. That was a, that was a really good pack. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, congratulations. Uh, you are, you are on the leaderboard and. You've got uh, you've got a very nice score there. You are like I said, you're ahead, uh, just behind Diamonds and Roses. Uh, you are ahead of Amari Pai Gonzalez, the A's Spanish announcer. Okay, and he had a good pack as well. And then uh, Tom Hudler, the PA announcer for the Mariners, um, he's down there quite a bit. Uh, we like to tease him about his score, but uh, very good. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I will cherish this moment for at least a week. 
Uh, <laughs> well, DB, thank you again uh, for joining us. We've really enjoyed your time. Once again, the name of the book is The Hall of Name, Baseball's Most Magnificent Monikers, from the Only Nolan to Van Lingo Mungo and more. Uh, so, DB, do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you on social media as well as where they can find your book? Sure thing. Uh, I am on Twitter uh, way too much. Um, you can find me at Dianagram, that's D-I-A-N-A-G-R-A-M, Dianagram on Twitter. My blog is Value Over Replacement Grit. It's been running since 2011. Uh, It is back from hiatus. It went on hiatus when I started to write the book. Uh, The book is available now. Um, You can order it from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or you can ask your local independent bookseller to order it for you. And also, you pop up an awful lot in Jason Stark, who wrote your foreword, uh, an awful lot in his Twitter feed This as well. is true. Jason and I go back many years. I was a regular contributor to Useless Information uh, back when he was with the ESPN. We stayed in contact. Uh, and when he, whenever he has a question now regarding... Uh, if it involves baseball player names, he comes to me because he knows I am the name, the name guru. That is awesome. Well, thank you very much, DB. Thank you. All right. So we'd like to thank once again our guest, DB Firstman. Uh, Mark, we have got something else coming up, which is might interest some of our listeners. We were guests on another podcast that uh, came out this week, the Histories What If podcast. And that was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, check out that episode. Just do, do a search for History's What If Podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'm guessing you can find it. Also, you can find them at History's What If on Twitter. And we had a good time. We talked about what would happen if baseball would have integrated much earlier than they did. So, you know, we like to talk about the Negro Leagues and players from that era. Well, we got to kind of pretend what would happen if they would have actually been able to play their entire careers in the major leagues. It was it was fun. It's a really good show. Uh, even without us on there, it's a good show. Yeah, you know, it, he does a really good job with that show. And he, when he came up with this topic, he told me I, I wanted to get baseball's preeminent history podcasters on with me to talk about it and once they said no i went to the to the second one and once they said no i just kept going down the list until they got to us and and we were more than happy to join absolutely but it was a lot of fun it was we got to talk about a lot of players that we've talked about here it was it was great all right, so uh, everybody, I'd also like to remind you that if you want to follow us on social media, we're there. As always, you can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. We will be here back again next week in one form or the other. Uh, Mark may or may not be here. Uh, he's His pager is going off during this show, <laughs> so he might be called away once again. Actually, I can tell you, we are gonna we, we do have another guest host next week. It is Joel from the High and Inside podcast. He's going to join us for some Braves talk, as well as we talked about some uh, very unique players throughout the history of the game. So be sure to join us for that. Before Mark is finally back full-time, we will welcome him back with open arms. Uh, But until then, we'd like to thank you for joining us on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.